0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, good morning, Sojourn. It's good to be back with you after being out of town last weekend. I heard really good things about uh, Brother Marcus and the message that he brought for us. Uh, Real quick note, if you are on the live stream, because it's been brought to my attention that our camera is sideways, I don't really know why, other than technology sometimes does these things. I tried to fix it multiple times, and it's still sideways. So um, just close your eyes and listen to the sentences you're about to hear if you're at home. Not if you're in the room, because then I'll be wondering if you're sleeping or not. (laughs) Um, We are on week three of a four-week series on remembering God's faithfulness, when he seems silent. Uh, our messages have, have centered around the book of Habakkuk, the, the minor prophet of Habakkuk. And as a reminder, this series is for those of us trying to understand how do we have faith? And how do we have hope? When life oftentimes seems hopeless. When we go through the challenges and the difficulties and the suffering of, of daily life. And I'm not even talking about the big extreme things, although it does include that. But just the daily kind of mundane grind of life that is tough. And when we don't see God respond the way that we would expect him to respond, and that we think that he may respond, and he actually may respond differently, how do we maintain hope? Now, we quickly discovered that Habakkuk is one of the most raw and relatable books in all of Scripture. I don't even think I realized that myself until I started digging deeper and, and, and kind of studying through this book. And we saw that there's a couple of things, that the prophet wonders what, what God is doing. And he basically says, like, God, what, what are you doing? I don't see it. I don't understand it. What are you doing? So he's got this curiosity. He wonders. And then we see essentially God responds to him. And God says, wait. I'm going to respond. And I'm going to do it in line with my will. But you have to wait. I don't know a single person who hasn't at some point wondered what in the world God is doing. You may wonder that internally, you may vocalize that, you may yell and complain at God, you may share that with others in a, in a group, and then essentially you've been left waiting for a response, especially if it's a response that you didn't anticipate getting, right? So we can really relate to this wondering and this waiting and this tension that we have in the Habakkuk has. Uh, though we're continuing our series this morning, we actually will not be in the book of Habakkuk. And so if you have already turned there, then you can continue to flip to the New Testament, we're going to be in the book of romans uh brief little commercial side note um understand the words will be behind me on the screen but we do highly encourage you to bring a copy of god's word copy of god's scripture there's a couple reasons why is one i don't want you guys to ever think that i'm just reading my words or making up my words so i want you to verify like okay this is actually in god's word um that's one thing and it's just good to have it to have it can be digital too right so uh, if you've got on an iPad or a phone, but it's just good for you, and then you can go study it on your own as well and get a little bit further, especially this morning because we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, so that's where you can turn. Romans 8 is like, it's just full of a richness that it could take many, many weeks. I actually know a church right now, and they're doing an entire series on Romans 8. So um, they're getting real nuanced. I'm just kind of hitting Romans 8, real one-week, high-level view. There's a lot I'm going to skip over. And so if you're wondering, like, why didn't he go into that? And how can we didn't get into this conversation? Um, it's, it's kind of one time doesn't allow, and part of it's by design. And you'll understand what I mean when we get into certain parts of Romans 8. But Romans 8 will be in verse 18, and we'll end up going through verse 39. Every single person on the face of the earth wants hope. I don't know if I've ever met a single person, regardless if they're a person of faith or not of faith, who doesn't desire to have hope. And we place our hope in something or someone. And so what is hope? When you think about it, what is hope? According to an online dictionary, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So maybe even right now in your life, you have hope that something will happen. You have hope that something will come to fruition. You have, you have hope that something, whether it's today, like it could be this afternoon. I'm sure my, my children probably have had hopes of things that we might eat for lunch, or maybe sweets that we'll get this afternoon, um, and maybe hopes of things coming before the end of this year. Or you may have hopes when you go into the new year, which we're not even that far away from, as you say, hey, this year is going to be the year and I have hope in this. So hope is simply a person, maybe a thing, or maybe a circumstance in which we center our future outcome. Around, That might be finances. It might be a relationship. It might be a position. Maybe your retirement. Maybe your abilities. It might be your health. So on and so forth. The thing or person or circumstance that you place your hope on, that you center your life around, when that thing lets you down, what you had hoped be the eventual outcome doesn't come to fruition, you realize kind of left hopeless. You're left disappointed because you put it all on this thing and kind of gravitate around this one central idea, this thing, this person, this circumstance and then when that doesn't happen or when it does happen, but then that thing doesn't let you down. Let's just look at relationships for a second. Right? We all have these relationships and we love, we love people, right? I'm in a marriage but I'll be honest. I'll use myself. I let Andrea down every single day at some point. She's not in the room so she doesn't have to say amen. <laughs> But when that thing lets you down, it doesn't come to fruition. You know, when I think about hope, I think most of the time we don't, we don't go around like thinking about hope necessarily. Like we put our hopes in these things but we don't actually think about them until we find ourselves hopeless. And then we think, man, I've gotta got grab onto something to have hope. Even today, you've entered this space, you've entered this, I know it's a stand, but we've kinda of entered this sacred space as, as a, the bride of Christ with some level of hope Resting on someone or something. For some of us, it might be the hope to make it through our current workload that's just kind of burying us to get to a vacation or to get to the holiday season where we get some time off. For those of you who um, are in a a, a stage of singleness in life, it might be that you get into a relationship. It's not always the case, but that's very common. Or if you're married, it might be the hope of having a, a family. And, and that might be made up of, of, of children and animals and a, a variety of things, right? You might say, my, my hope will kind of rest on this. But what happens when your workload is so much that you can't see a vacation or in sight? Or you just don't have the vacation time. And your boss says, sorry, you're too new at the job. There's no way you can get the time off. What do you do with that, that hope you had in that, in that then? Well, when you're single and you're single longer than you thought, and you thought, man, I'd be married by this point in my life, and... Now I'm not sure my hope is in this any longer. Or when you want kids but you can't have them yet, or you can't afford them, which by the way, you never can, <laughs> and you're kind of like almost feel like hope is, is lost. So when you place your hope in someone or something or in a circumstance happening, and that thing lets you down, then quickly hope is lost. You see, all of us have hope in someone or something. And I don't think that's bad, right? That's kind of inherent, intuitive, into us. And today what we're going to discover in our message is how we maintain hope in a hopeless, filled world. Because it's not that the world doesn't have hope. I think we would say to all those, the the people around us, right? Once again, everybody wants hope. Everyone has hope. But as those who are in Christ, as those who live by his will and, and his way, we know that everything you place your hope in other than Christ will actually ultimately let you down. And so we're in this hopelessly filled world. Well, the Bible actually answers this question for us. So if I was going to give you a sermon net and we're just going to do it real short in less than five minutes and get out of here, I would say, how do we maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? By putting your hope in God and his perfect ways. That's simplified. Don't put your hope in other things. Right? It's kind of like here's the instructions. One, two, three. Hope in God. Don't put your hope in other things. Center your soul on I read a book this week. I'm actually uh, not even quoting anything from it, but it's called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Go pick up that book. It's a really, really good book. It just, it did a lot for my soul (laughs) and and, uh, the the keeping of my soul. But our world tells us to do certain things and we will maintain hope and be able to withstand the struggles of life. Here's some common things that we're told. Obtain a degree or degrees. Climb the ladder of success in a career. (laughs) Buy a house, have a family, invest for the future, and retire well with little to no worry. Now, are any of those bad things? No. Like, absolutely. Like, we probably all want those things. And I would even argue that those are really solid advice. Like, that's probably advice you got from your grandparents and maybe your parents and other mentors. You're That's really good advice. But I would say it's unrealistic for all. Like there are circumstances, I think sometimes we forget about that don't um, allow for every single person to have those opportunities. Nonetheless, it's solid advice. So if you want to pursue those things, then absolutely pursue those things. But do not put your hope in those things. College may not be a reality for you. You may be in a dead end career. The finances may not be there to allow you to buy a house right now and you may feel like you're stuck renting. And by the way, the interest rates are like going up through the roof. The family that you desire may not be the one you get. You don't have to point at the people that are running right? your family. <laughs> but it may not be the one that you had dreamed of, right? And, and that you had hoped for. You may never see a way to invest in the future. You may think like, I can't barely pay my electric bill and, and they're telling me I got to put away from my kid's college and I got to invest for my retirement. Like, where does that money go? come from? That's often where I find myself. Like, where does this come from? I understand to do all those things, but it's not just falling out of thin air here. You may retire later than you wanted, or you may never retire at all. Or like some people I know, even family members who were getting right at retirement and they got a sickness and they ended up passing away. So plan for those things, but don't put your hope entirely in those things. You see, quickly those good things, those good desires can be a huge disappointment. Especially if your ultimate hope is in those things and circumstances. So as we turn to Romans, we're going to find the assurance of hope in the life of a believer. And so this morning, my prayer is that if you are discouraged today, for any reason, it can be a big reason, it can be a small reason, if you're discouraged for any reason today, then I pray that you'd be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and the reminder that we're going to be getting from Romans Chapter eight. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. God in heaven, you are holy and worthy of all praise and honor and glory. We come this morning, I come this morning as your servant. God, there is a lot in this text that we will not cover. But God, we know that your Word is all-powerful, it's living, God, that it would speak to us this morning, that you would speak to us this morning. God, that we would come expectant to receive from your word. God, as I prayed before our service this morning, that we don't show up expecting just to hear some songs um, led by Ben. God, we could go to a coffee shop on a Friday night and hear some just good music played. God, we don't just come expecting to hear some form of a TED talk that our culture would like to listen to. But God, we come expecting to have an encounter with you. And so this morning, we'd be reminded, God, of our future glory, God, that you tell us about in Romans, and that the life that we're currently walking through, the struggles, the pains, God, the groaning of creation, as it tells us in your word, God, that 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 is temporary, that we have a, a future to look forward to. But God, sometimes we need that fresh reminder that we'd be given that reminder this morning. God, I pray for our friends in Florida. God, we have a partnering church in Florida that was not far from where the storm hit this week. God, I have friends who live in Fort Myers and so, God, that you would be with the disaster relief efforts that are there. God, that you would be with your church. Your church would, would come together and serve that city and that state in the midst of this um, heartbreak that took place this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we get into the text, just because I mentioned the floor in my prayer, um, we give a, a percentage of our internal offering every month to a, a relief agency who literally, like, within a day, probably, actually, I think before the storm even started to hit Florida, they were, like, getting big trucks ready, so just so you know, like, I always feel like it's worth mentioning, because you might wonder, like, where's where's the money go that we give? Like, that is one piece of it, right? It's a small percentage, but it's a percentage that we give to help put boots on uh, the ground. I'm already helping with the relief efforts there in Florida, so thank you for uh, your generosity and for supporting efforts like that. Now, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to go and give a background to the book of Romans this morning. Um, I would love to do an entire series through this, or maybe a series on chapter 8. But this is a major section in Romans 8 that, uh, that Paul basically started in chapter 5, and he's ending it here in uh, chapter 8, and he's emphasizing the final hope of believers. So he's emphasizing the final hope of those who are in Christ. And so, as we get into it, point number one is going to be, Our present sufferings are nothing compared to future glory. Because remember Habakkuk. Habakkuk's looking at what's in front of him. Habakkuk's looking at what's external around him. And he is saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand why you're allowing these things to happen. What is going on? And as we find ourselves there, I think we have to fast forward. If we look at, at Romans and this promise that we are given, I will actually start in verse 17 of Romans 8, which reads this. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul says that God's family, his brothers and sisters of Jesus, if you are in Christ, that would include you, that we will share in Jesus' sufferings. Jesus who suffered the ultimate price, who went to the cross. We have to be reminded, we are told that we will suffer with Christ, but let's not camp out there forever. We will also share in his glory. I don't think we can comprehend what that fully means. Like, all I know is I think it goes from, man, this is really dark and bad to like, this is really, really good. But we can't fully comprehend it until we're, I think we're actually walking through it and actually experiencing it. But here's my question for us. I want us to think long and hard about that this morning. I don't want just the right answer because we're at a church gathering. But is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the future inheritance, this future glory that Christians have been given and promised, is it worth all the present hardship? And heartache of living as a child of God because it's to come it's not what we're experiencing now many answer this no and you've, you've maybe watched these people and, I, and I'm referring to those who who've maybe profess faith in Christ right we talked about that camp high when we first started the series they profess faith in Christ they they, they seek to live out his way People say, how was Like, it was exhilarating, and, like, it makes every roller coaster just, yeah. It, it, there's no comparison, right? It's amazing. You should all do it. Mm-hmm. If Andrea would let me, I'd do it again. But she yeah. says, that if the skydiving didn't kill me, she would kill me. But she said, it's, it's preparing us for an eternal of the glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Mm-hmm. So we can see our struggles. We can see our pain. We can see our heartache. For the things that are seen are transient, right? They come and they go, right? You might be in the middle of a season of deep, deep suffering right now. But hopefully you can look back at a season and hopefully look forward to a season where you're not experiencing that. Where you're just like, man, life is great. Like, it's joyful. The things that are unseen are eternal. So what Paul is saying to us, he goes, look, if you know where you're heading in the future... You won't even entertain the idea that your current problems and pain aren't worth it. It would almost be foolish for Paul to even entertain this thought. Because if you know where it is you're going, right? We kind of do this in our daily lives, in our, in our yearly lives. You know, like, man, it's really hard to eat the butt. You know, it's kind of going back to those, those hopes that let us down, right? But it's like, man, for some of you right now, like, if I can get through Christmas and get to Christmas and get two weeks off work, like, I'll be golden. And during that time, I'm going to sleep late. I'm going to eat foods that are like really bad for me and go skiing or stuff like any of those things, right? They say if you know where you're headed eternally, like we're talking about eternity, then the problems you're currently facing, experience, those are real problems. He's not saying they don't exist, but he's saying that they don't compare. And that we have to keep an eternal mindset, internal focus in front of us. It's almost like we have to ride on our forehead when we look in the mirror in the morning. Or we look in our rearview mirror, be reminded this is where I'm headed, that this is just temporary and today what I've experienced. So, what is this glorious inheritance towards that which we Christians mm-hmm. are walking? Often painfully. Well, Paul lays this out for us in the preceding verses. And so uh, point number two is we're groaning and eagerly waiting for adoption as sons and daughters. Pick up verse 19 to verse 23 with me. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, what was that telling us? Because of sin, the suffering of the world will always be there. Everything in the world, because of sin, has this that the is toxic. And it's given over to frustration. So do you ever feel frustrated? Raise your hands. Do you ever feel frustrated? Right? We're probably like this, right? Yes, (laughs) Yes, like, I feel frustrated. Now you know why. Or now you're reminded why. Because it's part of the pain of sin. It's part of the pain of living in this fallen world. Right? Creation is not as it is supposed to be. Creation is is not as how it was created to be, which leads to frustration. Right? Like, why is this this way? Because of the fall. Why is this this way? Because of sin. Why is this this way? Because things are not the way that it's supposed to be. Everything has been touched. Everything has been run by sin from the time the human race fell into sin when the first human sinned. So it's, it's, it's just it's the way it is. Why? Because of sin. And when sin entered the world. So now we live in that reality. And as a result, it says all of creation shares in this all of creation. And so everything in the world around us is decaying, and we're reminded of that every day. Everything you ever think about that? Like, everything's just decaying. Think about decaying and rotting food, like, in your compost bin. What do you do with that? You get rid of it, because it smells really, really bad. Or you ever had a potato that decayed and went rotten in your pantry, but way back there? And you're like, what is that rancid thing in my cabinet? And you, you're, like, digging and digging, until you finally find that potato that's mushy and falling apart, and it's just, like... Uh, it's moldy and it's, it's nasty. But in a real way, like creation, that is what's happening. But we forget that, right? We try to make, make it our best life now. But we're reminded of this every day. Look in the mirror. If you have glasses like I do, you remind me, man, my eyes are not what they used to be. They're, they are decaying. And so I have to wear these in order to see. Thinning hair. That one's becoming more and more of a reality for me, if I hate to admit it. Wrinkles. Scars. Those are signs of the world decaying. Relationships not going as expected, right? That that friendship you thought was going to last forever, or that relationship you thought would just be this, and all of a sudden you're like, "What happened?" I was reflecting on that this week in my own life. Daily things that are out of our control that we never wish on anyone else, that we never wish would happen, but they do. Sickness, right? Sickness happens all the time. I mean, we we still are. You know, we talk, we're still kind of in a pandemic or post-pandemic, but it, it's fresh, right? It's still we're still there. Sicknesses that lead to death. All right, we've all had a family member, a loved one, pass away. We've been to a funeral, and we're reminded it, the world is decaying. Everything in all of creation ultimately will have the smell of decay, which is why it's tragic to have a temporary view of life. Like that—that that would be depressing if this is all we get. Like, this life is all that we get. No wonder, I think our city, I mean, I've lived in a number of cities in the world, but I feel like this is the city I've lived in the most at. It seems to have the most level of, of um, just deep, dark depression. And I understand what we said, so like, people deal with that. I've dealt with bouts of that myself. But I think especially those who don't have Christ and don't have this hope that they can have in Christ, like, I can't, I don't see where I could bear that weight if it was me and myself alone. But it's it's tragic to have this view of temporary lives as if this is the best that we get. Tim Keller says this. He says, this is the reason why the best metaphor for the current state of creation is as being in childbirth. Jesus himself used the same image in Matthew 24, 8. The painful pangs are not meaningless because the world is giving birth to a new version of itself. We don't have time to unpack that, but what a beautiful imagery. Right? Now I, I've been I've experienced birth, but I've never I've never experienced birth. And that, I guess I guess I did, you know, reverse it, but I've never been the one in labor. Yeah. But, but I can tell you, my wife was in pain. And right and, and women said that it was in pain, but that that is kind of what creation is doing. It's going through the pains of childbirth. As it's as it's as it's going through giving a birth to a new version of itself. And so the Paul, Apostle Paul is saying is before you can embrace the good news, you have to accept the bad news, which creates a longing for something better than this world. We often place our hope in the wrong things. Why? Because we believe it will get better. But we see it will get better, but only through the redemption offered in Jesus as adopted sons and daughters. And that's what Jesus offers us, a way of being adopted into the family of God who are, are heirs to the full inheritance of God. Like that is good news. That we don't have to remain separated from God. That we are given away through Jesus to be sons and daughters of God. Because there is something better. There is a glory coming that when it falls upon us, it will envelop the whole created order. Right? It kind of, it'll kind of come and just overtake all of it and it will glorify it along with us. We'll see nature itself will be renewed, restored, and redeemed to the reality as God created it to be. But it's not yet. It is coming. Point number three, look at verse 24, 25. We are patiently waiting on hope. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This reminds us that part of being part of God's family is experiencing the frustration of this world. While simultaneously being changed and conformed more and more to the image of God, do you know what this means for our worst days? Think about your worst day, worst day you've ever had in your life. If you're in Christ, that you can rest on the promise that our best days lie ahead of us. That we have a future glory, we have a future inheritance that we are going towards, and one day, I just say we all look forward to one day. These painful days will be forever be behind us. Amen. Like, that is good news. Like, I can't wait for all, all of them to be behind me, yeah. right? If you've moved through a difficult and painful season, you can go, man, whoo, I'm past that. But you know, another one's coming at some point. Yeah. But eventually, we'll be in a place where it's like, they're all behind me in the rear view mirror. I can tear the, tear the mirror down. I have to look at them. Like, they will be gone. <laughs> but until then, and it's similar to what God's telling Habakkuk wait.
1: <laughs>
0: Eagerly wait, patiently wait. This brings us to point number four all things for God's purpose. Verse 21, you're very familiar with this verse, probably one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In verse 28, we are given a promise that should transform the way we face the good and the bad and the failings of life. Go back to verse 28. There's no verse 28? Okay, I got messed up too. <laughs> All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This leads us to, really should lead us to a couple of things. First, this should lead us to gratitude and joy. Many people are shocked and disillusioned by the hardships and tragedies of life. And you may have found yourself there. But once you're in Christ, or once you're reminded, maybe this morning, uh, of one in Christ, it shouldn't shock your delusion. And in some ways, you you should go, yeah, we live in this fallen world. Like, that is to be expected. Christians don't expect things to work for the good on their own accord. Because of some of those things we listed earlier, because of your degrees, because of your retirement plan, because of your investment, because of your family... We should not expect it because of the things that we did within our power and control should be for our good, but it's because of the, what God is doing in our lives. And so in a very real way, when things work out to our benefit and our advantage, you can have a couple responses. You can respond by looking at yourself and go, yeah, look at me. You know, we're, we're I made that shot in the game and won the game. I did this thing at work and got the promotion. I did this. Or we can say, this reminds us it's because of God and His grace in your life, and we, we praise Him for it. Right? I think about when we lived in South Asia, and those of you who traveled globally, like, you can relate to this, right? I'm always like, God, why were these kids born into this situation? Like poverty from day one through their life, their life experience is so much lower. They don't have clean drinking water, they don't have you know. And then I think, God, why was I born into this like really comfortable family who, who provided everything that I needed? You always know, I was I wanted to had everything, and I needed it, and it was, it was safe, it was comfortable, and I was in church from the time I was born, and all these things. And being right, it was nothing that I did. It wasn't like, you know, God managed say, well, yeah, you're the right one, but it was it was a sign of God's grace in my life, and I should praise him for it. I can wrestle, like come back, and still say, God, I don't understand why those kids aren't born that way. But I can also praise God for the way that I was born, and that I wasn't born into a different situation. Second, this truth removes general fear and anxiety, Anyone ever have fear and anxiety in here? Remove general fear and anxiety when life goes wrong. Based on this verse, based on God's word, there are ultimately no accidents. Because God is always working. The universe is not run by chance. Okay? Be thankful for that. It's not like there's some kind of, uh, if you've ever been to Vegas, it's not like you're pulling the slot machine and going like, all right, let's see if the cherries line up. I'm not saying I ever played a slot machine. Let's see if they line up. And then you're like, oh, nope, I lost my money. It's run by a person, but not the same person, our Father God up in heaven. Like He is running the universe. This should bring us an ongoing sense of comfort and peace in this life. Right? I don't know. I'm moving into this new season. It's kind of strange, but in a really encouraging way for me. Like I'm praying I move all of us into it. Where it's like, I get frustrated. I have daily frustrations and stressors in life and things. I'm like, guys, this doesn't make sense. But I'm like trying to get to this spot where I'm I'm doing life with God. Right? I know it sounds silly, you're thinking, man, Matt, you're a pastor, you just realized this, but like, trying to get more intentional, like doing life with God, and it's, it's, it's crazy, because even this last week, it's like, man, things are such different when you're, you're conscious of God being with you. When you're going through life with God. And I realize a lot of my personal frustrations, and maybe you're there with me, it's because I'm doing life with Matt, right. as Matt would do it. I'm, when I get frustrated with my kids, and my kids don't have to say amen this morning, it's because I'm doing it as Matt would parent. Or, or any, any area of my life. And so this should also help us see God's purpose in difficulties. Because if God is working all things together for our good, okay, so if you're a child of God and God tells you he's working everything in your life for your good, then we can see both the good things that we enjoy and the bad things that we don't enjoy. They serve this purpose of furthering the good in our life. I'm gonna say that one again. That God's working all things, both the good and the bad, for your good, for furthering the good in your life. If you still think you need something or someone or some circumstance outside of God to fill your life, the reality is you don't. This also means if you feel that life has been run by a circumstance, by a situation, by an individual, that God's using that teach you to mold you to shape you your life hasn't been learned by that you might feel like it has been but god's he's you know we're he's the pottery of the clay right? and we don't see the full picture right but he's molding us and shaping you. you're like god why am i going through this difficulty why are you allowing me to go through this difficulty he's shaping you and you're and you're looking more and you, and you don't see it in the moment right but you might be able to look back even now look back in your life regardless if you've been following christ for six months or for six years or for 60 you like, you can look back and be like, oh hopefully i look more and more like christ and he's used every situation many of them that you wouldn't choose to go into and you wouldn't even put that on your enemy he's used it to mold you and to shape you romans eight twenty eight teaches us to look at life's troubles as part of god's loving purpose for us another tim keller quote the truth that god is working for people's good is not a universal one however it's easy to overlook the fact that the promise that in all things God works for the good is made only to those who love him who have been called. Mm-hmm. If you love God for who he is and himself, you will make a commitment to endure difficulty. In other words, I love God for God. Good, bad, that I experience in life. I love God. Does not mean, once again, we're looking at Habakkuk who's going like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. God, this doesn't line up with what I read about your word. We're not saying there's, that, that that in itself is not okay, but that you still love God in spite of it. You remember God's faithfulness and that you remain faithful. But this also means that if you're using God for what he gives you, kind of like God's like a Santa Claus that you give this wish list to, and you're like, all right, as long as you keep doing this, then I'm going to follow you, then you bail when suffering comes. When when pain and difficulty comes into your life, you quickly you you a battle. And so they're saying those who've been called mean those who God has brought into relationship with Him. And since Paul has told us that every single circumstance, all things, it means everything, is working together for your good, to only those who love God. There's a strong implication. I want to be careful how I say this. But there's a strong implication that they do not work for the good of those who do not love Him. In short, it implies that both the good and bad things that happen to non-Christians actually work ill for them. Now, here's where I want to give a little caveat, right? We can unpack this in our in our group on Wednesday. We don't know who and who won't give their life to Christ. There was a time in your life where you probably thought, there's no way I'm ever going to have the title Christian attached to my name. I'm not going to be one of those Bible-thumping people, right? And now you're like, I'm sitting in church regularly, weekly. I'm reading the Bible, right? So that's not up for us to decide. But the truth still applies that those who aren't in Christ, who aren't loving God, that's working against him. And that would I would even add he might use those circumstances, we don't know for sure, to now to point them to him. And that may be the difficulty that leads him to give his life to Christ. I read a story this week, actually it was in the book by John Orberg. Um, I want to say it was, his, it was his father-in-law who had had a bad experience, who had been hurt by the church. Uh, he wasn't too happy that his daughter married a pastor, but they got married and uh, had a you know, decent relationship, and it was only um, at the last year of his life, he got a cancer that took his life. I think it was pancreatic cancer, and it went pretty quickly. Within a matter of days, they say it turned to be the color of a ripe banana. But it was that last year of his life, the most difficult season in year of his life that led to his death, is what it turned him around and pointed him to Jesus, and he gave his life to Christ. And so my question for you, is it worth anything? Was it worth him going through that if that's what led him ultimately to have an eternity with Christ? Paul tells us earlier in Romans it says God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. Paul saying that one of the worst punishments that God can give to people, I think we always think of the eternal punishment, right? But one of the worst punishments that God can give to people is to let them have the desires of their sinful hearts by letting them have what they want. When God says, okay, have it your way. This means the good things are bad for those who don't love God because those outside of God's will they have this illusion that they are self-made. They don't see a need for God. Habakkuk 2, 4 told us this. Behold, his soul is puffed up and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Take away, God is weaving everything together for your good, the good and the bad, and conforming you into the image of Christ. All right, I'm gonna speed up here. I know I'm I'm going long this week. Um, Point number five, conform to the image of Christ. Verses 29 and 30. It says, for those he... Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now verse 29 explains why those who believe in Christ can be assured that all things work together for good. Because God has always been doing good for them. It says he started this before creation, in the distant past. He's continuous in their conversion, the recent past, and then on the day of Christ's return, the future. Now, this these two verses can get us in the weeds, and I'm not just skipping it because I don't want to get into it. It's just because I've already gone 40 minutes, which is longer than I like to go. Um, but uh, we can unpack that. But the, the takeaway for this morning, as we remember, we're not getting really deep into this, is that we're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ, and that he's using that for his, our good and for his glory. Point number six. Can anyone or anything separate us from the love of God? Verses 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how would he also not with him be graciously given us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And so we see these truths from the previous verses where Paul just asked these five questions. Is if God is for us, who can be against us? Because God is all powerful. He says, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give us all things? If God is willing to give his son and take care of the world, why would we worry about our needs? Third, he says, who will bring any charge? It is God who justifies us. God has declared us righteous, that we have no longer reason to feel guilty or unforgiven, because he's offered us that in Christ. Fourth, he says, who is it he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, was raised, is also interceding for us. So once again, because of Christ's life, because of Christ's death, because of Christ's resurrection, Christ paid it all, so if we've given our life over to Christ, we have no reason to feel guilty. Because we have been forgiven. And the final question is who can who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's nothing that can harm us, there's nothing that can ultimately take us away from the love of God. And so we find a central question to the Christian life Is there anyone or anything that can separate us from Christ's love for me? No. Because God is always working for the good of those who love Him. And that God and His his sovereign control, meaning he's over all things. He provided an escape for us from the storms of life. And then we'll wrap up in verse 38 and 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. God says, this is the certainty that I've given you. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Amen? Amen? Not a divorce, not an abandonment, not a sickness, not the loss of a job, not financial trouble, and so on and so forth. Put, fill in the blank with your life. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Because God loves us simply because of his choice. God doesn't love you because of some good that he saw in you. God doesn't love you because you woke up early this morning and read his word. He loves you if you woke up this morning and didn't read his word. God doesn't love you because you're getting up and, and, and praying and doing all these things. Those are good things, and I agree that it will change you. It will help look you more like Christ, but he doesn't love you because of those things. He doesn't love me more because I showed up early and, and to set up and brew some coffee. Like God doesn't love me more because of those things. God loves us because he loves us. God loves you
1: because he loves you.
0: And though the world may be falling around and down around us, there is something you can place your hope in. Not those things, not the external that's falling down, those will let you down, but nothing will take the hope away that Christ loves you, that he loves you. Nothing at all. And if this is where we place our hope, this is where we place our love and our faithfulness to God. And so, sojourn, put your hope Put your trust, put your faith in something that won't let you down. And we need this every single day, right? I would argue we need this to get through every single day, to be reminded of this. And even that hard day, God, I'm trusting you. You may not understand it. You might be in tears. You might be on your knees before him. But I love you and I trust you. And I want to be faithful to you because I know you're faithful to me. Because you sent your son Jesus to die. You took on all the suffering, all the pains of this life. All the groaning that we see of creation around us. And I want to place my hope and my faith and my trust in that. And that will determine that I'm able to remain faithful. So let me pray for us and then we're going to respond this morning. God, we thank you for the reminder of our future glory, our future inheritance. God, as we walk through this life with all the pain and heartache, God, it was a fresh reminder for me this week that creation is groaning. And it makes an absolute sense that creation is groaning. We are groaning with it. God, life is not the way that it was created, designed to be, and at times it feels utterly in chaos and out of control. But God, that this morning we were reminded that you are in control. You are over all things. And God, that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. The bad, the good, the misunderstandings. And so God, man, we put our hope and trust and faith in you. God, where, where we can maintain hope in a hopelessly filled world. God, we love you and thank you for loving us and choosing to love us even as we are rotting decay with the rest of creation. It's in your name we pray for your power. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.